Today we close out our series on the great call stories of the Bible. If you missed any of those, you can catch them uh, online. Uh, We're going to be looking at some of the uh, uh, core meanings of the Christian faith in this next month and what it means. And then in October, we'll be taking a look at some of the influence of the Reformation as we celebrate 500 years since the Reformation began and Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door at the Church of Wittenberg. But today, for our final story in this call story series, we turn to Acts chapter 9 to take a look at the call of Paul. Paul is here uh, called Saul, although he has two names. He has a Jewish name and he has a Greek name, a Roman name. And uh, so in early on when he's working as a Pharisee, he is normally called Saul. And then as he goes out and ministers more to Gentiles, he goes by Paul. He doesn't change his name. He's got two names. Um, Paul is a Pharisee and he's leading the charge against the Christians. Although they're not called Christians then, they're called the followers of the way. Followers of the way or the followers of Jesus. And And Saul, Paul, is the one persecuting them. He's pursuing them. When Stephen, the first Christian martyr, is stoned, Paul is there encouraging everyone and holding everyone's coats. He's watching out for everybody's belongings while they stone him. A Pharisee would not kill someone, but a Pharisee would not stoop below getting other people to kill someone. Listen to how Luke describes Paul in Acts 8. Uh, This is chapter 8, verse 2. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Okay, when we first meet Saul, he is a bad guy. He's pursuing the church. The, the language that Luke uses, he's ravaging the church. He's destroying the church, spreading the Christians out all over the place. Now, in the book of Acts, many people are being saved. Many people are surprisingly saved, in fact. The Samaritans, which the Jews hated, they were starting to find Christ. Um, even though they were despised. The Ethiopian eunuch is saved. Here we have an African, somebody from Africa being saved. And he, as a eunuch, would not have been accepted by the Jews at all. These are very surprising stories, surprising salvations again and again and again. But as surprising as all those are, there's nothing as shocking as the idea that perhaps God would save Saul, who is ravaging the church, he's the bad guy. He's the antagonist in the story so far. He's opposing what the church is all about. And we pick up in Acts chapter 9 to read his story. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who who are you, Lord? 
And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from, from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who care, call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Here ends the reading of God's word. Paul is threatening the church. He's attacking the church. He's ravaging the church. And he goes and he gets a letter from the high priest to have authority to arrest anybody who follows the way while he's traveling. So, so he has permission, public permission, to arrest anybody following this Jesus figure and bring them bound back to Jerusalem, man or woman. He is this, on a self-righteous crusade against what he feels is a threat to Judaism. I wonder if there's a little bounce in his step. If he's a little bit excited on his way to Damascus. If he's on the road and he, he, he's, he's, he's ready. He's excited. He's doing this great work. He's enjoying himself maybe a little too much. And then bam. He's stopped in his tracks, surrounded by light. All he sees, all he feels around him is light. Light is such a great symbol in the Bible and even to this day, right? When something learns something, we we say that they're enlightened, right? How many of you have watched cartoons and somebody has an idea and a light bulb suddenly appears and turns on, right? Even in our thinking, light is this symbol of enlightenment, of knowing, of learning. There's a good chance that this image was even stronger for those people who actually lived in dark. Okay, when was the last time you were truly in the dark? You're out in the middle of the woods in the middle of a cloudy night. We have electricity. We don't even understand darkness. But in those days, light was an especially strong symbol. It's also part of God's glory that God's glory shines. And we've seen that in the stories of Isaiah and others. And now Saul is just surrounded by light. 
just, just surrounded by light, like a spotlight, but he can't see anything past it. He's surrounded, and the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Such a quick sentence, but, but a, a few things need to be noted about it. First, this repetition, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul. Paul, as a Pharisee, would have immediately thought of other stories where God had used a name twice. It's done to Abraham, to Jacob, and to Moses. Moses, Moses from the burning bush. Moses, Moses. So as soon as Saul hears Saul, Saul, see, he hears that too. He automatically is in this mode of, oh my goodness, this is like these other call stories in the Old Testament. The second, you think about this question. Why are you persecuting me? This has a huge assumption in it. Saul is not trying to attack Jesus. He's trying to attack these new followers of the way that he feels are attacking his faith. He does not recognize that these followers are followers of God because he does not recognize that Jesus is God. But understand, think about the assumption in these words. Jesus assumes such a close relationship with his church that when you treat the church a certain way, Jesus says, you're persecuting me. You're persecuting me. I don't understand people that say they think they can do the Christian faith without church. Okay? How can you reject the church and not be rejecting Jesus in some way? Paul's response is as honest as it can be. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Such a great phrase. He both recognizes that this voice and this light is the Lord. Okay? But he doesn't know who it is. He doesn't recognize this Lord. This is not the God that he understood in the same way. And so he says, who are you, Lord? What a beautiful confession that many of us could learn from. Maybe we don't totally know God. Maybe we don't totally understand God. Maybe our confession is, who are you, Lord? I understand you, Lord. Now teach me who you are. The answer is Jesus, who you are persecuting. Paul is supposed to go to the city and wait for instructions. And the man with him, they hear a voice. Apparently, they can't really understand the voice. They don't see the light at all. They're just kind of dumbfounded. They hear this mumbling, maybe. We don't, we don't quite know how this exactly plays out for them, but they don't see the light. And if they're traveling with Paul, think about this. Who is traveling with Saul at this point? Other people who are also persecuting the Christians. Okay? These are other people that are going with Saul saying, yeah, let's get those followers of the way. So imagine them, all of a sudden Saul stops, all of a sudden he's not real excited, all of a sudden he's blind, and they've got to take him into the city. I mean, no wonder he doesn't eat for a couple of days. Not only is he probably freaked out about the light, he's also freaked out that these people who are persecuting the Christians that are with him, that are traveling with him, might figure out that he just got called by this Jesus guy to be one of those people that he was persecuting. He goes. He fasts. Maybe he wants to die. Maybe he's regretting all those Christians that he's persecuted. Stephen. And maybe he's playing it out in his mind. Those, the stoning of Stephen that he was such a part of. Those Christians he had pulled. He was wrong all of a sudden, he knows. 
This man who had so much power is now a person with nothing. The strong has been made helpless. And for three days after seeing the light, Paul sits in total darkness, blind. In the meantime, God calls another person to action. Ananias of Damascus has a vision. God calls him by name and Ananias responds, Here I am, Lord. This echoes the responses of so many other call stories in the Bible, including that of Samuel and Isaiah. God tells Ananias to go see Saul of Tarsus. He's praying. He's had a vision that somebody named Ananias is going to go see him. And Ananias is like, God, time out. Saul of Tarsus. I've heard of this guy. I've heard of his persecution of the Christians in Jerusalem. I've heard he's got a letter that he can arrest me instantly. If I go to him and try to answer his prayers, he's going to have me arrested. But listen to God's response again. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That word instrument literally means like a bowl or like a bucket in those days. Jesus says to to, um, Ananias, that guy that's been persecuting all the Christians, he's now my bucket. He's now my bucket. He's got to carry me. He's got to take me places. He's my instrument. He's my bowl. And he's going to have to suffer for it. And Paul suffered many arrests and beatings, had an incredibly difficult life for Jesus, but he did it. Ananias does not argue. He faithfully goes to Paul and he greets him as a brother. This is a great, great way to greet someone. You greet, as soon as you greet someone as a brother or a sister, you create a relationship where you can actually talk and you can actually shed light. Okay, this is what's, What's so crazy in our country right now? If I automatically assume you're an enemy, and I automatically set up our relationship as adversarial, we can't ever get anything done. And Ananias goes and he says, brother, brother. Suddenly, Saul's eyes are opened, and something like scales falls off his eyes, and suddenly he can see. He's baptized, and he finally eats and is strengthened. He will need his strength because... God is going to call him to do a lot of traveling and go through a lot of things for him. He will carry that message. He will be that vessel to Jesus around the world. I chose to end this sermon series with this particular story because I think it says so much about the gospel and highlights so much about how important it is that we listen to God's voice and God's leading in our lives. First, let me talk about the gospel. There's certainly been worse people in history than Saul, but he was certainly not a good guy. Encouraging people to kill others, cruel, vindictive in his persecution of the church, targeting followers of the way. If you were going to list, if you were going to make a list of the people that Jesus should not love, Okay, the people that Jesus should not care for, the, the, the list of people that Jesus should not give grace to. There, there'll be some other, there'll be the Hitlers of the world and a lot of people on that list, but somewhere on that list is Saul. Saul who's doing such damage to that early church and directly opposing 
Jesus. And yet, on the road to persecute Christians, on his way to arrest Christians and try to get them stoned, God stops Paul, knocks him down and says, you're mine. Knocks him down and says, you're mine. God's grace for Paul is astonishing. Astonishing. That, that Paul would be in direct opposition of God and God would just whap. Not anymore, you're mine. I'm going to love you and I'm going to give you grace even on your way to persecute me and my people. And God uses Paul to plant churches, to save souls, to write a good portion of the New Testament. You understand what that means for you? That means God really loves you. That means God's grace is enough for you. That means whatever you have done in your life, you're probably not worse than Saul. And if we start listing a bunch of other characters out of this Bible, you're going to find a lot of characters that have done a lot worse stuff than you. It's your pride that keeps you from accepting God's grace. It is not a lack of God's grace. Whatever you have done in your life, you have a precious gift of God's love and God's grace. And you're not so bad that that gift can't be yours. Now, let's make a couple comments about hearing and following God's call. First of all, I really think this image of God's instrument is a great one. You are the bucket of the Lord. You are the container of Jesus in this world. And I'm telling you, this world needs a lot more Jesus right now. And you're the bucket. You're, you're the bucket. You're the bowl. You're the container. You're the vessel. That's your calling. To bear God's love and God's grace. And to pour it out on the world around you. Pour it out on the people you work with. Pour it out on your neighbors. Pour it out on your family. Pour God's love out everywhere. Because you're his vessel. Whatever God's calling you to do. Whatever God calls you in your life, whatever your career is going to be, whatever you're going to do as a ministry in retirement, whatever you do in your life, you are a vessel of God's love. Take that call seriously. Number two, and there's a very difficult spiritual truth here, that like Paul, blindness often precedes the clearest vision. When you decide you're going to follow God's will, often things get fuzzier. You get more blind before it gets clearer. You're not, if you decide, all right, God, I'm really going to follow your will, a lot of times you get blind for a while. A lot of times you're not quite sure. How many of you, got, you have to have gotten your eyes checked, right? It's one of the most awkward situations we all have to do. You go into a dark room and they blow a puff of air in your eye which they say is to check for glaucoma or something, but I'm convinced it's just torture, right? Puff in your eye, and then you're in this dark room with this doctor, and they scoot right up between your legs and this close to your face, and they're smelling your breath, and you're smelling their breath, right? And then they put this giant thing over your face. Everybody's experienced this, right? And they say, okay, is, this, is it this one or this one? you like, this one or this one? And you're like crying because it's so dark and you got the puff in your eye. And it's just miserable. They said, I don't like it at all. And then you come out of it and they give you glasses and you think, I can see. Why didn't I do this six months ago? I could have been seeing all along. I didn't know it was that bad. 
See, sometimes you got to go through the, the awkwardness and the, the darkness and the fuzziness before you get to the clarity. And that is often how God's works. You, often you get blind, it gets fuzzy before it gets clear. And I, I know a lot of people who decided they were going to follow Jesus, and then it got fuzzy and they gave up. But you got to keep going. you got to keep going. Imagine Paul for three days blind, just sitting there, having no clue, thinking nothing but regret for what he's already done. Sometimes you got to go through the darkness before it gets clear. That's how God works. So persist in the darkness because God will make the way clear. Because of this, number three, you need to understand that the most important part of following God's will is not, I repeat, not about knowing exactly what God's will is. You cannot just sit there and wait till God gives you the whole plan. It's not how it works. It's never been how it works. It's never going to be how it works. You got to be faithful on the steps that God gives you and you got to keep going. What's more important than knowing the whole plan is just your intent. Okay, if your real intent is, God, I'm going to do exactly what you want me to do, then it's up to God to make that clear to you over time. And I trust God to be faithful to that. He may not do it in your time. He certainly hasn't done it in my time, in times of discernment in my life. I've had to wait on God, and I'm ready, but I'm not ready. See, that's the thing. Sometimes you're not actually ready, and you need to learn how to trust and be faithful. Sometimes the situation's not ready. Sometimes you think your timing is good, but the timing is going to be perfect in six months, and God already knows that. So the important thing is not that you know. The important thing is that your desire is to follow God's will, and you can trust that if that's your desire, God will show up and he will guide you along the way. Just as Paul sits in the darkness, he waits, waits for God to reveal the next step. Ananias is unsure, but he does what God tells him to do. He's not sure what the outcome is going to be. He's not sure how it's all going to go. But he's just faithful to what he's got to do right now. And that's just part of it. Number four, notice the importance of affirmation by others. In Saul's delicate time, sitting there blind, unsure, nervous about these people that have been traveling with him that are going to get mad at him. And they can arrest him if he follows the way. So unsure, so regretting. How affirming must it have been for Ananias to come and touch his shoulder and say, brother, I'm here. That if you're unsure about God's will, you need good Christian friends around you that can put a hand on your shoulder and say, brother, sister, here it is. You're okay. You're going to be okay. Somebody to affirm what God's will is. And that's how you know whether it's God's voice or yours. You just patiently wait and you ask other people to pray and discern with you. And so God calls Paul. An enemy becomes brother. Persecutor becomes follower. The one trying to squash the mission becomes its biggest instrument. And if God can do this with Paul, who persecutes Christians, and David, who is an adulterer and a murderer, and Moses, a murderer and a coward, Peter, a denier, and Thomas, a doubter, why not you? Let's pray. 
Lord, let our intention be to follow you. That your will would be done in our lives. Speak, we pray. Help us to hear you. Some of us are walking in darkness now. Remove the scales. Help us to see your future. In Jesus' name. Amen.